Hello there. Thanks for joining us on the Christ Covenant Sermon Talkback. The Sermon Talkback is where pastors and members of Christ Covenant can process the sermon, ask questions, and more practically apply the content of the sermon. If you do have a question you would like to have dialogued, please use our text to pastor line at 404-465-1737. And if you'd like to find more resources, visit ChristCovenant.com slash resources. We hope you enjoy the discussion. All right, I'm joined today by Blake Buffalo Bills, uh, Blake Buffalo Bill Rogers. I am Blake Buffalo Bill Rogers today. Shout out to Reed Ferguson, who's out there. Just had a baby not long ago, learning the dad life. I love the Bills gear, Blake. I mean, I feel like we should always, uh, maybe we should support our favorite NFL team. The draft, you know, was last week. Any Anything excites you in the draft, Jeremy? Uh, the Bulldogs. No, no, I mean, not the Bulldogs, because... There's no bulldogs in well, the, the NFL. The, some bulldogs went into the some NFL. Some bulldogs went into the NFL. A bunch of bulldogs went into the NFL. Wait, how many did eight? I I don't know. I think Saban had like six in the first round or something, but then like the bulldogs had eight or nine, I think overall. A lot of athletes. A lot yeah. of athletes over there in Athens. Yeah. yeah. So we so. had four on the planes get drafted. You know, not That's the good best. For y'all. That's yeah. good for y'all. Hey, you know, little Auburn. You know, we're trying, Blake. Little old Auburn. Little old Auburn. We're With just race-driven effort over there. Yeah. yeah. You know, we're not we're not boastful about our draft, but we're we're just trying. We're just yeah. taking to the Lord the draft numbers that we have. Mm. Hey, so. in, in unity, you know, the Falcons got a little love. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Falcons. They got old Kyle Pitts. Um, Maybe a generational talent. Maybe. I, I mean, I think he's a great athlete. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's, a, he's, he's a game crazy. changer. He's only like 20. Is he really? He's like 6'5", massive, and 20 end. years old. So he's still going to get bigger. The tight end, that's a big He's going to get position. better. Well, and he's kind of a, he's more than a tight end. So I'm joined by Blake Rogers and Jeremy Brooks. Jeremy's not wearing any NFL gear, but, you know. <clears throat> kind of look like a tennis player. Yeah, that's kind of what you get going on, Lacoste. And yeah. then, uh, you know, I've got my I've got my class tonight, so I'm in my um, this is my professor Jason D's. SBC D's professor D's yeah. right here. Um, but guys, we we were we were back in the Gospel of John on Sunday. Uh, we come to I think one of the more interesting chapters in John, John mm-hmm. six. Um, a lot happens in John six. That's mm-hmm. what makes it so interesting. Uh, here you have the narrative of Jesus multiplying the bread and the fish. Very interesting. The next kind of little piece is we have Jesus walking on water. Um, then you have this piece of Jesus teaching about mm-hmm. the bread. Um, and then you have this kind of interaction that he has with his disciples that's very interesting. So we're going to actually have four different sermons through nice. this month on these things. Um so we'll get to all of that, but um, yeah, I don't know. Just general thoughts on the well, sermon, guys. Well, Jason, I think a lot happens in here that you can actually even kind of miss. Um, to your point about the Passover, how yeah. you had read this so many times and hadn't really dialed in on that. And actually, someone asked me, "Hey, where's the Passover in this passage?" And it's like, "Well, it's this little verse right here, in verse four. So. Why did that stand out to you this time? Why is that so important to get what's going on in John 6? I mean, I think a lot of reasons. First of all, I'm surprised that it did pass me, pass over me. Yeah. You like that? So nice many thing. times in my life. 
Um, Because now when I look at it, I'm like, oh, this makes sense of the whole entire chapter. Um, I see what's going on here. But um, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think I've ever really heard it preached much in this passage. Hmm. Have you guys? Hmm. I, don't, I don't think I have. No. It's something that's so big, Jesus feeding the 5,000, that that's like so big that I think that kind of distracts you from all of the other things going on mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in the passage. It's such mm-hmm. a big miracle. Um, you know, people, so I think when I've heard it preached and then, you know, and then how I read it, then I, ante- I read it with anticipation toward, okay, I know what's happening here that I just kind of missed over that detail. But thinking about that detail, as I was kind of talking about yesterday, I think it really makes sense of the whole passage. It'll really make sense in not this coming week, but the next week, mm-hmm. uh, when we look at some of the teaching of Jesus and kind of the significance that he is the true provision and if you think, what is the Passover? And I talk about this kind of narrative of God's salvation and judgment. Mm. The Passover is this bizarre juxtaposition of God's care and grace for his people. What are they doing when their enemy is being destroyed by God's judgment? They're feasting, right? Mm-hmm. God has cared for them. They're together, they're with their family, they are safe, they are protected, they are celebrating. Egypt is being destroyed. Egypt, the the firstborn of every family is being put to death. The the worst night in Egyptian history. And yet what is Israel doing? They're feasting, They're, they're, they're being protected. God is providing for them. And so one of the things they said is the way that you celebrate. So you could have just said, Jesus could have just said, well, let me teach real quick, and then everybody can go to town and get their meal, and we don't have to eat, you know? That's an interesting question of the passage. Why is it so important that they eat? I mean, mm-hmm. right? you know, couldn't they have just, like, gone without food for a few more hours until Jesus finished his preaching, mm-hmm. and then everybody went to Capernaum or Tiberias or wherever and mm-hmm. got their own food? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, no, they have to provide Passover, mm-hmm. because the way that you celebrate Passover is to feast it is the sign of God's provision. The way you bring glory to God, in a sense, is to be the people of God feasting mm-hmm. on Passover. So, yeah. Yeah. and to your point about biblical theology, you know, this is not a a new scene or new setting either, right? So, like, I was just looking back in Exodus sixteen, like after Israel's called out of Egypt, they were led and protected and like wonderfully led by the hand of Moses, provision of God over and over and over again into this kind of safe place. Well, in Exodus 16, they begin to grumble and they're like, mm-hmm. why have you let us out here to die? And God through Moses, anyways, God tells Moses, he's like, Hey Moses, listen, I'm going to provide bread. And he eventually provides bread and quail to the people and they still grumble and complain. Yeah. And so, um, to your point about biblical theology, you know, whenever you read these gospel writings, right? Mm-hmm. So the, these authors are seeking to show that Jesus is a better Moses. And how? Well, Moses hears from the Lord that the Lord will provide the bread and the quail. Jesus himself here is pictured as the one who provides the bread and the fish mm-hmm. or multiplies the right. bread mm-hmm. and the fish. Mm-hmm. And then he goes on to say that I am the bread of life in a subsequent you know, series mm-hmm. of verses in chapter six, after we have the walking on the water thing. And so w- what we have is Jesus saying, I am the provider and I am also the provision. Mm-hmm. It's, it's both of these things. He's the new and better Moses that we should mm-hmm. worship. 
it underscores just the importance of spending time in our Old Testaments and, and no reading doubt. these yeah. things so that we pick up on it. Because I, I liked how Jason said it. You can be a little distracted by the big story and maybe miss this little <laughs> detail. But once you get that detail, it actually adds an exclamation point to, right. to who Jesus is. Like, mm-hmm. this is Yahweh. Right. This is the Lord. And that's the big thing. And that gets back to the, the one of the things I said Sunday. John is doing something here. Mm-hmm. You know, many things Jesus did. There's many signs. Now, mm-hmm. <clears throat> that's right. I actually kind of think that probably all the signs Jesus did were doing something. John may not have understood all of the signs that mm-hmm. Jesus was doing and why he was doing them. Mm-hmm. But he did understand these. And so John is saying, these I have written so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ. So it's, it's doing exactly what you're saying, Blake. He's, John is saying here, don't you see the Passover? Don't right. you see what God is doing? In the same way that he provided food for the people of Israel in the wilderness, in the same way that he gave a feast to the people on the night of judgment, now he's really providing this is Jesus. This is the Messiah. This mm-hmm. is the Christ. This is the one who has come to be God's representative, to be God's man, to be God's true salvation. Mm-hmm. And um, what's interesting, again, not to get ahead in the passage, but it's salvation and judgment. Mm. Um, and so I was even looking at Psalm 78, which talks all about the Passover. And again, what do the people do later on in the chapter? In a sense, the same kind of thing, Blake, they rebel against God. They they want mm-hmm. more from Jesus. They're not seeing who he is. And Jesus brings his wrath against them in a sense. Mm-hmm. He, he, he tells them of their wrong. Um, so yes, I think for many reasons, this story is so palatable, so powerful, but yes, it is a display that Jesus is the Christ, the mm-hmm. son of the living God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I also love how this account, Matthew's account of this very thing, uh, how it ends. Um, you know, here in John, there's like, they ate their fill and then they filled the baskets. But in Matthew, he says, and all ate and were satisfied. And yeah. I think like, it's just a wonderful way to think about the provision of Christ. Like we um, have everything that we need in our Lord. Mm-hmm. If, if nothing else goes right for us, humanly speaking, we can live as people who have partaken of what is ultimate and good and be satisfied. And really have more than we need, right? There's some yeah. left over. And then right? there's more. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To like your kind of reminder of the grumbling um, of, of the people of God. There's, it makes sense why Paul can say, you know, even when I'm hungry, I'm content. Mm. Even when I'm abounding, I'm content. Like there's, there's a contentment that is, that's deep that we find in, in this mm-hmm. provision of, of Christ. So the next thing we kind of looked at yesterday, and I think this is interesting is you could say it this way, God's, our activity or our invitation to be a part of God's provision mm. Um, it's interesting how Jesus involves the disciples, right? Mm-hmm. Now, you know, with Philip, he wants to test him. And again, I can't help but think about chapter five, where he's just told the Pharisees, you have no idea who Moses is. You have no idea what the Bible is saying. And now it's kind of like he's doing that to the disciples. And he's like, okay, do you mm-hmm. do you get it? Do you, and mm-hmm. Philip kind of doesn't, you know, he he's like, look, Lord, what, what are you talking about? Like, we can't do this. There's no eight months wages. Wouldn't buy enough food for these people. 
And then Andrew, and again, I don't think perfectly, but Andrew, <laughs> I mean, it's 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 kind of embarrassing, you know, what I said yesterday. Like if, um, you know, like if you told me, hey, let's go to the moon, and I was like, well, here's this paper airplane, mm -hmm. you know, it it you would laugh yeah, at me. Yeah, You'd right. be like, what's wrong with you, you know? And I can almost see Andrew bringing the, um, you know, the little lunch to the, um, to Jesus yeah. and like the other disciples, like rolling their eyes, like, Oh Come my on, gosh, dude. Andrew, Seriously? what is wrong with you? Why did you like steal this food from a kid? Um, but Andrew's starting to see, okay, wait, maybe actually Jesus is the provision mm -hmm. and I'm going to be faithful with what I have. And I do think that gives us this little picture of kind of Christian work. Mm. It, there is meaningful effort that the Bible calls us to, mm -hmm. but it's effort that, if you will, is surrounded by, I like to think of it that way. It's kind of protected by, surrounded by, covered by the plans, the sovereignty, and the power of God. I mean, I know that my little efforts, none of my efforts, y'all aren't going to believe this, but I've never done a perfect effort, right? All of my efforts in some degree or the other are weak, flawed, sinful, mm -hmm. not right. Yet I also believe that God in the same way that he uses little Andrew's lunch here, little boy's lunch. Um, he, he uses it. He, he multiplies it. He, mm -hmm. he makes it right. He mm -hmm. makes it whole. He makes it complete. And so I do think this is instructive for kind of how the Christian should act mm -hmm. in this world. Mm -hmm. yeah, he kind of, he, he perfects our, our acts and like Jordan t talks about that a lot, even on a Sunday morning, like the worship we offer to God is, is impure. It's incomplete. Yeah. It's, but, but Jesus and what he has done, um, on the cross and for us, um, and in his resurrection and by our, our union with him, he is, he is offering perfect worship. Mm -hmm. And so through him, we can worship God freely and we can work freely. Um, we can, we can go about, our work that the Lord has called us to in a free kind of way, knowing that Jesus has perfected our mm -hmm. work, um, yeah. which is great. Yeah, that's good. I mean, I think what, what are five barley loaves and a few fish, you know, they're limited resources, but like small effort done for Christ can turn into something actually amazing, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, I think obviously you can get, um, very prosperity gospel driven by looking at this passage right, and all this kind right. of stuff. And you got to be careful not to do that. But at the same time, um, even, even the smallest effort done for Christ is actually an, an eternally good thing. Mm -hmm. Right. And our, our faith is like evidenced by our works. And so, I mean, the same thing happened with Abraham when he went up to offer Isaac, you know, that was, you know, counted him as righteousness because it was a display of his faith. He reasoned that God mm -hmm. could save Isaac. He raise could raise him dead. from the dead. Yeah. And so we, we too, like, we're not called to a passive life by any means. That has never been the case for any of God's people. That's right. Um, and so the grace of his salvation leads us, it, you know, we're saved by grace through faith. So faith is the evidence of the grace of God in our life. And so that faith, though, is also seen in what we do. And it's, it's only when we have that kind of, you know, I use D.A. Carson, grace-driven effort mm -hmm. 
that our efforts can actually be for God, right? Mm -hmm. And not just right. for ourselves, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so because I believe that I'm complete in Christ and I'm positionally righteous in Christ, which I know we're going to talk about, and that God loves me and that he's been gracious to me, then I can actually serve him without like expecting anything in return. Mm -hmm. I can just serve him. Mm -hmm. That's good. And so let's talk about that, the positional righteousness of Christ. And again, I think these kind of juxtapose well with one another. I think like earned righteousness is something that we all struggle with. Now, earned righteousness may be obeying Moses' law really well. It may be um, being really successful. It may be fulfilling the expectations of your dad. Like there's a lot of like earned righteousness that people go after. Um, but the Bible kind of over and over again pushes against earned righteousness mm -hmm. um, and pushes and but pushes us toward um, what I would say is positional righteousness that we even talked about this earlier. Why is Israel justified? Mm -hmm. Why is Israel counted righteous? And it's because of their position. It's because of who they were. They were God's people. Mm -hmm. They were saved because they were God's people. Um, why are we counted righteous? Well, it's because of the righteousness of Christ. It's not because of our mm -hmm. earned righteousness. Now, from that position of righteousness, now we can actually go out and do righteous things without trying to earn anything just because we love God, you know. And and if we believe, you know, Paul, it's he's very clear that it is the spirit at work within us to bring these things about. Sure. It's, it's not just, you know, I now am positionally righteous and now I'm left to, you know, do things by human effort. No, mm -hmm. I mean, the, the, the promise is that you have the spirit at work within you to bring about um, these good things mm -hmm. that through your works that you will point others to Christ, that even in your works, you're pointing yourself back to your need of, mm -hmm. of Christ. Mm -hmm. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, even our work in that case becomes just, it becomes an affirmation of God and an, and a reaffirmation of our need for God, mm -hmm. which is really, yeah, that's right. both are happening at the yep. same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, we talked about that with Bunyan. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's quote is so powerful. My righteousness is not dependent on really what I'm doing. Yeah but on the unchangeable Christ who stands before God and makes his appeal on my behalf. And if mm -hmm. we could just live that way mm -hmm. and understand our position of righteousness before God, it would it would totally change the way we mm. really understand how we live. It would totally understand our motivation. It would totally understand what we value. Yeah. I think that's one reason why when we, when we think about the gospel, we should think about it in a very full way. We shouldn't neglect some of the things like um, the, the resurrection and the ascension. Because the ascension reminds us that Christ is in heaven. He's not here. Yeah. He's not here right now. He is alive. Like, Interceding for us. Yeah. yeah. And so he's there. And so if he's my righteousness, um, then then that my righteousness is in heaven. My righteousness is with God, like totally connected to God, like with him. And therefore, like I'm that's that's such a freeing thought. Yeah, that's and great. So we need to I mean, that's why we need to remember those things, though, because we'll forget that. We'll forget that our righteousness is in heaven if we're not meditating on that aspect of the gospel. Amen. Hey, so one of the other things that we talked about just a little bit, gosh, there's so much in this passage, mm -hmm. but it's interesting. Verse 14, they're amazed. I mean, they're blown away. They've never seen anything like this. And they say, surely this is the prophet. And of course, Deuteronomy talks about this prophet coming in the way of Moses. 
And then the next verse is interesting because it says they wanted to go make him king by force. Mm -hmm. But Jesus withdraws. They recognize the prophet. They recognize the king, but they don't, they're not looking for the priest. Yeah. Which I think we often can miss on Jesus, right? I mean, I think a lot of people approach Jesus as the great prophet, the good moral teacher, right? He brings a good right. word, good wisdom to live by. Um, you know, I mean, maybe the king, as long as he's our kind of king, we mm -hmm. like him. Mm -hmm. We want Jesus to be on our side. I think the way this kind of shows up most normally right now is kind of the cultural war Christianity, right? You know, we are powerful, the Christian people, the Christian coalition of powerful, mm -hmm. you know, We've, we've given the kingdom powerful. But I think what people struggle with is to say, man, I need a priest. I need yeah. someone to go before me and go in between me and God that can make peace with God. And of course, Jesus is, is the true prophet. He does bring the word of God. He is the true king, though his kingdom is not of this world. And he is our great priest mm -hmm. and our only hope. And But he does make mediation between us and the Lord. Yeah, that's good. I mean, to your point, like, you know, Hearing a good word is something that we all do, right? How many podcasts are you listening to right now, Jeremy? 20, 23. 20, 23. We're in like this good word culture. Like we want a good word. Right. Everyone's a good word. Yeah. We're also in like, we all love the appeal of power. But to admit that you need a priest mm -hmm. means that God is against you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's big. And and that is a huge admission. Mm -hmm. Um and it's an admission that we need to live under every single moment of every single right. day. Uh, right. That Christ, of course, he will come to rule in the reign. Of course, Christ provides a better word than Moses, but Christ also stands between us and God yes. on our behalf. Mm -hmm. That's a good word. Yeah. He is our priest. Mm -hmm. um, man, what a great passage. I'm looking forward to next week. There's more to John 6. So... We've got a long journey ahead of us. But for Jeremy Brooks and Blake Rogers, I'm Jason Dees. Thanks for listening.